0: morning, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, James chapter 5, we're going to continue our study in this book, um, I don't know if you've uh, noticed so far as we've gone through it, it's pretty challenging, it's, uh, James <clears throat> is very pointed in his message and this morning it will be no different, so let's take a look at James chapter 5 and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. There is a commercial on TV, I'm sure you've seen it, it's been on for many years, they keep changing some of the details, but the ending of it is always the same. And this commercial is about a credit card, and they try to entice you to sign up for this credit card, because among all credit cards, this is the best one you can own, according to the ad. It's not so unusual, most cards would, or most uh, advertisers want to promote that they're the best of, of the bunch. Um... And they always end the commercial the same way by asking this question. What's in your wallet? How many of you have seen it or heard it? Yeah. What's in your wallet? So that's the question that we have before us today. It's not about credit cards. It's about money, possessions, and the question is, what's in your wallet? I am told that the most sensitive part of a man's anatomy is the nerve between his heart and his wallet. And for women, it's between the nerve between her heart and her purse. And uh, what James has to say to us this morning may hurt. You may feel challenged. You may feel uncomfortable as you read uh, and as we study this passage together, But if we don't listen to him, and if we don't take appropriate action with our money, we will be in a world of hurt. For James is really echoing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus talked a lot about money? In fact, somebody wrote this. They said, 16 of the 38 parables are concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels... An amazing one out of every ten verses, or 288 verses in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. One such verse is found in Matthew 6:24 that says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon or money In James chapter 5 verse 1 the rich are called to come together to listen up and weep and howl because of the miseries they are about to face the rich are going to face miseries, according to that verse. Well, you say, well, who are the rich? Who are the rich? It's a little tricky to define who is rich and who is poor, but I've got a couple of suggestions for you. On March 29, 2012, Ruth Alexander of the BBC News wrote an article that says this. Um, She said, if you calculate the average pay of workers in the world, so the average pay of workers in the world... Uh, how do you do that? You take all of the wages that are paid to every worker in the entire world. And then you divide that number by um, uh, the number of wage earners that there are. So the way she says it is, once you have the total wage bill for each country, add them all together and divide by the total number of earners in the world, and it gives you the answer. The world's average salary is, anybody want to care to guess? Less than $2,000. $1,480. And that's 2012. It might be 1481 now, but uh, it's not much more than that. It's about $18,000 a year. She, she goes on to explain that we really have to take into account something called PPP dollars. PPP dollars. And what is that? It's purchasing power parity. In other words, it's it's the cost of living in the United States must, must be much higher than the cost of living in Zimbabwe or Zambia or other places. And so if you calculate the cost of purchasing power of the dollar, um, she says that the average wage earner is actually earning the equivalent of about $36,000 per year. So if that's the average, I think it would be fair to say that if you personally are earning more than $36,000 a year, you're rich. And if you're earning less than $36,000, well, we'll see if you're rich. Okay? So I think we can look at it another way, though. I want to look at three different groups of people. And the first group of people, um, and I want to ask you the question, are you in the first group of people? Do we have the... uh... There we go. Okay, the first group of people is made up of people who earn enough money. So they're earning money. They're going out and they're working hard to supply their needs. And they earn enough money to pay for their basic needs. What are our basic needs? Food, shelter, clothing. Those are our basic needs. And so they they earn enough to meet their current needs and no more. These are the ones who can honestly pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Okay, So, so the Lord is really saying to us, if you are making enough money, To supply your basic necessities, be content. Okay? It's enough. If that's our situation, be content. So let's talk about the second group. If you do not earn enough money to pay for your basic needs, and you don't have enough money for food on the table, for clothes on your back, or a roof over your head, then you are poor. Okay? That qualifies you as being in the poor category. If you make less than enough money to meet your basic needs, you are poor. Now, there are people who are poor, not because uh, they don't earn enough money, but because they don't know how to handle money. And we could go on for several sermons on that, but that's not the purpose of the sermon today. Okay. So what we're talking about is people who simply don't earn enough to meet their basic necessities. You're poor. So who are the third group? Are you in the third group? The third group of people earns more than they need for their current necessities. And so everything over and above our current needs, our current necessities, should really be considered in our hearts and in our minds discretionary income. Okay? What is discretionary income? It is defined as the amount of income that is left after paying taxes of course, taxes has to come in there and personal necessities such as food, shelter and clothing. If you have anything over and above that, it is considered to be discretionary income. And so if you have more than it takes to pay your taxes, your food, your shelter, your, your clothing, you're rich. You are rich. And that's the category that I would say probably most of us fit in in this room, rich. We have more than we need for our basic needs. So the question for us is, what's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Why does it matter? Well, for many of you, this may be completely new teaching. And so some of you may be thinking, well, just a minute here. I, I thought that uh, riches were a sign of God's blessing. Isn't prosperity um, an indication of God's favor? You know the Lord has blessed me with riches and I want to tell you something that that may have been true if you were a Jew living in the Old Testament. That is not true if you are a Christian living in the New Testament. riches are actually more of a test than they are a blessing, a test of where your heart is really at. So it does matter. James says, pay attention, you who are rich. And so if we fall into that third category, we are rich. And he's talking to us. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Wow, that's strong, very strong language. The word misery here in the Greek is actually a combination of two words. It means to become calloused. And what he's talking about is if we are rich and we hoard up our riches for ourselves, we have a calloused heart, or we are in danger of having a calloused heart. Becoming calloused. That's what happens to people who are in category three who don't use the surplus for others. Their hearts become hardened. They become callous towards others and their needs. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you doing with the surplus that God has given to you? And I want to ask all of you that question, both the old and the young, those who are just starting out in the workforce and those who have been in it for a long time. What are you doing? with the surplus that God has given to you. Are you looking for ways to use it to help others who are poor, who are disadvantaged, or to further the work of the Lord? If not, you may already have a calloused heart. Not a good thing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Serious question. Can you really say that God's love is demonstrated in what you do with your money? Yeah, John says that's one of the tests. If our hearts are beginning to be callous towards the needs around us, it is time not to laugh it up and have a party. It's time to weep and to mourn and to cry about our sin, because that's what it is. What does the Lord have to say about riches? He says, blessed are you poor, you who are poor, for the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Do you know that God says that if you, what the Lord is saying here is if you have riches and you use them only for yourself, that is the only reward you're going to get. That's it. You've just burned it up on yourself. A rich man's wealth and possessions are all the reward he will get. Soon, Jesus will return, and the rich man will see how poor he is. Well, the Lord is kind. He's very generous to us. And the reason you have a surplus, most of us, is because God has been very kind to you. He's been very merciful to you. And he's testing you to see what you're going to do with that extra. To see if you have a heart that is soft and malleable, soft and tender towards those around you. Do you know that the Bible instructs believers to do a weekly accounting of their funds? Do you know that? Most of you? I'm not going to ask a question who's doing it. But I'm going to just remind you that that's actually what the Bible teaches. To uh, do a weekly accounting of your income. Paul taught this to the churches in Galatia. And he said... So you must do also, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. And he's not saying store it up for yourself. He's talking about giving a gift uh, to the work of the Lord. And so he's saying it should be done on the first day of the week. The giving should be done on the first day of the week. So you should be thinking about this every single week. It should be part and partial of what you do on a regular basis every week. You should stop and say, look, the Lord has blessed me with a surplus this week. How can I use it to further his cause? How can I use it to help those who are in need? That's the purpose of the extra that we have. That means, he says again, I want to emphasize again, it says each one of you. So nobody escapes this, okay? It includes the preacher. And everybody here, it includes the old and the young, the rich and the poor, it includes everybody. Each one is to lay aside something. And so if the Lord has given you enough for your daily necessities, you've met your own needs, that's fine. That's good. You've got food in your belly, roof over your head, clothes on your back. What are you going to do with the extra? That's the question. And each one of us can have a part in giving so that the work of God may prosper. And uh, it should be done, he says, on the first day of the week. Systematically, proportionately, and generously. So if you have a job, or you have an allowance, or funds beyond your basic needs, give. Give of the surplus. James says, there are miseries coming upon the rich. So I want to do a quick study of what the New Testament teaches about money, and I want this to be interactive, okay, and the way we're going to make it interactive is we have two microphones somewhere out here, okay, and uh, if you want to read a verse out loud in front of everybody, we'll let you do that, we'll put the, are you going to put the verses up there, okay, so um, those who lay up treasures on earth, first point is they are fools, who wants to read about that, okay. Tom right here somebody give him a, a microphone Then he spoke
1: then he spoke a parable to them saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself saying what should i do since i have no room to store my crops so he said i will do this i will pull down my barns and build greater and there i will store all my crops and my goods And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So so is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God.
0: Our society teaches us from the time we are in our youth, until we retire, that we are to store up, stash away, stockpile, put it, put it aside uh, for a, a, a nice retirement. This guy did it to the nth degree, and he's saying, I'm going to tear everything down that I have, the barns, fill them full. I'll have no more worries. And he said that on the day he was going to die. Crazy, isn't it? What day are you going to die? You don't know, do you? Those who lay up treasures on earth are fools. Those who lay up treasures on earth are unfaithful stewards. Who wants to read that? Luke 16, 10 to 12. Gentlemen, start your engines. Okay, Michael.
1: He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, Who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own?
0: Okay. So God gives us funds. He gives us possessions. But they belong to him. They're his. We are simply stewards or managers of the funds or the resources that he's given us. Uh, Those who lay up treasures on earth are divided in loyalty. Who wants to read that one for me? David, did I see your hand? (laughs) Sure. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the
1: other. You cannot serve God and mammon.
0: Okay, you cannot have a divided loyalty. God cannot be your God alongside of money being your God. There is only one God. Okay. Um, Those who are laying up treasures are not disciples, um, Matt, could you read that for me?
1: So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple.
0: Okay, those who lay up treasures on earth are disobedient. Um, can you, uh, who's going to do it? I, I was going to say Andy could do it right here. He's looking like he was ready to speak. Thank you for volunteering
1: not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys,
0: and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, and then somebody, uh, is there another verse up there too from Luke? Why don't you go ahead and read that one too. Go ahead, uh, Andy, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heavens that does not fall, fail, nor where nor a thief approaches, nor moth destroys. Okay, so in these verses, we're really seeing that treasures on earth corrupt. Okay, they they become uh, um, they'll fall apart or they'll uh, become um, uh, objects of theft or something along those lines. Whereas if you store up treasure in heaven. It can't be affected. All right, those who are laying up treasures on earth are heading for misery, and we're going to see this. Um, Noad, could you read uh, Luke six twenty
1: four?
0: But woe to you who are rich,
1: for you have received your consolation.
0: Okay, and then if uh, maybe you could give the next verse to Sam over here, and while you're heading over that way, if you could give the other microphone to. Uh, Who's doing it? Nick, are you you ready to read here? Okay. This is your last official work here. All right, Sam, go ahead.
1: But those who desire
0: to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then, uh, Nick, if you could read the next one, James 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for you, your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten.
1: Your gold and silver are corroded and their... Corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Okay.
0: So thank you very much for uh, your, your participation uh, this morning in that. I want to talk about the Lord for just a minute and how he lived, the Lord Jesus. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He's not offering us riches on earth. He's offering us riches in heaven. The early church understood this and the early church lived a simple life. It says in Acts 2: 244, "Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They were poor, but they were rich. In spiritual things, the very next verse says, For the Lord added to the church daily those who should be saved. It's a wonderful testimony of them uh, putting themselves in poverty financially, but seeing rich blessings that came um, afterwards, a couple verses after uh, that section. However, we are not in the church in the early, uh, we're not part of the early church now. We're a long way. It's been almost 2,000 years since those days. What is the condition of the church in the last days? Well, it doesn't take us long to figure it out. The Bible tells us what the church in the last days is like. And he says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking to the church in the last days. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That is the command to us in the last days. This is what the Lord is commanding. Listen up. Turn from the God of money, or else the God of money will turn on you. Is that true? Yes, it is. If you invest in stocks and bonds, they will fail. Many people lost a lot of money recently. Those who have invested in real estate know that in a heartbeat, it can be taken away. A market crash, a fire, an earthquake, just out of curiosity, How many of you actually have earthquake insurance? Okay, not very many, all right? The reason you don't, it's too expensive. But one earthquake could wipe you out. Those who fill their closet with the latest fashions will find their clothing moth-eaten. And the day that we stand in front of that rubble that used to be our house, or the foreclosure sign in front of the house, or we reach into our closet and we find that there are holes in our clothing that are moth-eaten, or our stock portfolio has taken a sudden nosedive, or our investments have tanked, that is the day that the corrosion of our gold and silver will rise up in testimony or witness against us. And so he personifies the corrosion of our riches as rising up against us almost like it's at a court of law and pointing its finger at us and saying, you could have done something with me and you didn't. You could have used me for spiritual benefit, and you didn't. You could have used me to help others, and because you didn't, I'm corroded. I'm worthless. There is coming a day when everything we have and everything we own and all of the money that we possess will be absolutely worthless. Okay, There's coming a day. Right now, it can actually be used for the glory of God. God provided a daily portion of manna for the children of Israel in the desert, if you remember that. For 40 years, they wandered through the desert wilderness. And he provided manna for them every morning. But he said something very interesting. He said, do not store it up. Why? Because if you store it up, it will become full of worms and it will stink. And so the people, on the first day, they go out, they collect a whole bunch of it, and they think, hey, I don't want to do this tomorrow. So they open their cupboards and they put it in their cupboards in their tent, if there are such a thing. And they stored up the manna. And the next day, they opened the cupboards and whoo, whoo, it reeked. And the smell of it was awful. And the worms were, uh, filled it. And he said, look, I told you that's what's going to happen. He's telling us the same thing about money, about treasures, about riches, about possessions. He's saying if you keep them, they're going to stink. They're not going to really do you any good. Not only will your riches bear witness against you, but, but James says that those same riches will eat your flesh like fire. Wow. One day you will see that you could have used the surplus to help people. You could have used the surplus to further the work of God, to spread the gospel to support the work of God. And you could have earned great reward, but instead your investments will burn up with fire. Imagine the burning, scalding realization that we could have saved a soul from hell had we simply used the unrighteous mammon to win friends for ourselves and a welcoming committee in heaven. Again, I have to ask the question to you and to me. What's in your lot? Well, how do the rich... So it talks about the hardening of the heart. That's the the tragedy of this, that we become hardened in our hearts, a calloused heart. And so verses 3 through 6 tells us how the rich show that they have a calloused heart. First of all, in verse 3, the end of verse 3, it says, by hoarding. It says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. So one of you read the verse about the man who tore down his barns and built bigger barns and filled them with plenty. What a pointed statement James makes here. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story in the Bible of Noah. You remember Noah was a preacher of righteousness and God told him to build an ark because God was going to destroy the world with a flood. And so he built the ark. And it says in the scripture that the people of Noah's day were buying and selling and carrying on life as normal, marrying and giving in marriage, right up until the day that Noah entered the ark and the waters began to fall from the sky and there was that great flood. And they all perished that day, except those who were in the ark. And it's amazing to me that Noah had told them, Noah had warned them that judgment was coming and they just carried on life like normal. And James is warning us the same way here. And he's saying, look, you're heaping up treasure and it's the last days. What does that mean? It means Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. There's a song that we sing. I can almost hear his footfall on the threshold of the door. He's coming. And when he comes, all the things that we own, possess, the money, everything else is useless, worthless. It's a sin to heap up treasure on earth. The Lord Jesus commands us not to do that. But the warning in James is even stronger. How wrong it is to heap up treasure, but how wrong it is to heap up treasure in the last days. If there was ever a generation that should not do this, this is the generation. My brother and my sister, we are in the last days. Every imaginable sign is pointing to that fact. It's not the time to be amassing wealth. So how do the rich show that they have a calloused heart? By hoarding, that's number one. Number two, by committing fraud. It says in verse 4, Indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. How do the rich get rich? By fraud. By taking advantage of those who are working for them. Often it is the rich who are employers, and uh, when they pay an unfair, unjust wage, that's fraud. That's taking advantage of workers. They have become rich at the expense of those working for them. They defraud them by not paying fair and rightful wages, or they hire people and then cheat them out of their earnings, or they sign contracts and they don't fulfill their obligations. It happens all the time in the world. It's almost expected in the world like that, but it's done in Christian circles too. And when we, have, when we hoard riches, we are really like the employers who don't pay a fair wage. We are holding back money that could be used by workers who are out on the fields. We have people today who are representing us in God's work out on the, the mission field today. They're called missionaries. We have workers in this country who are working to to, uh, serve the Lord in this country. And when when we hoard up riches and we're not releasing them to the work, we are really keeping these things back by fraud. Bibles are not being translated. Literature is not being printed or distributed. And the work suffers. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes this way. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So under the law... Uh, of the Old Testament, God wrote and said, listen, if you use an ox to tread out your grain, you know, they're attached to a pole, and there's a great big wheel that is a grinding wheel, and as they walk around in circles, grinding the grain for you, they're doing your work, don't put a muzzle on the ox. Why not? Because it's hungry. It needs to be fed too. Feed it. And so he says, it was a law. You, you cannot do this. You're breaking God's law if you do this. And Paul is using that illustration from the Old Testament. And he says this, Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt that it is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing? If we reap your material things, Paul was talking about how the uh, Corinthians were not supporting the work of the Lord the way they should. And he's using this as an illustration to remind them that even the law talked about this t- for animals. How much more should they do this for the workers who are working uh, for them? Those who have been cheated will cry out to the Lord of Sabaoth. What does that mean? He is the Lord of hosts. God is the Lord of the heavenly hosts or the heavenly armies, the angelic hosts. And he's saying, look at what he has at his disposal to make things right. Okay, You don't want to mess with God. You don't want to mess with the angels uh, that God has uh, by committing fraud. How do the rich show they have a calloused heart? By living in luxury. James 5.5 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. The rich show callousness by living only for the here and now. We eat and drink and party as if there's no tomorrow, no accountability, no eternity. We are rich in material possessions, but we are in spiritual poverty. We are like an ox, he says. You see where it says, you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter? It's an illustration of an ox again. This time it's not the ox that treads out the grain, but it's an ox that sits in a stall in a barn. And that ox just keeps getting fed and keeps getting fed and keeps getting fed. And you say, well, that's the kind of meat I like. I like tender meat that hasn't been, you know, uh, toughened up by exercise. That lazy ox is just sitting there being fed and it's fattening his heart up for what? The slaughter. It, the one purpose for which it was born was the slaughterhouse. That should not be true of us. Paul says, though, "Those or James says, those who live on the earth in pleasure and luxury have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Those who are rich are like that stalled cattle, and the day of reckoning is soon approaching. Seldom do we think about the fact that there are 7 billion people on earth who are about to perish. The Lord says that He will never again destroy the earth with a flood. But He does say He will destroy the earth with fire. And that day is coming. We are living in a day near the day of slaughter. Seldom do we think about that. Do you know that there are over 6,900 people languages spoken among the world's 7, 7 billion people. Over 1,900 of those languages, those language groups, do not have a single word of Scripture in their own language. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a single word of Scripture in their own language. 19, over 1,900. That represents 180 million people. Say, well, that's not that many. Well, in addition to this, there are currently 2,167 Bible projects underway right now. This is current statistics. The languages represent 1.9 billion people. And so we have, totaling them together, over 2 billion people that either don't have a scripture verse in their own language or do not have a completed Bible in their own language at this point in history. But even if we had all the languages completed, who will go? Who will go and take the good news to these people? How do the rich show they have a calloused heart? By condemning and murdering the just. Verse 6. The rich condemn the just. The bottom line is all that matters. It doesn't matter if we step on people, give them unsafe working conditions, condemn them to death. As long as there's profit at the end of the day, that's all that corporate America really cares about. In the days of the early church, the gospel came to Ephesus. and People were turning from their idols to the true and living God. And the gospel threatened business in Ephesus. The business of idol-making. The idolatry uh, was a big business in that town. And the silversmiths were up in arms and marched in the city theater with murder on their minds... And the mob turned unruly, and the whole city was in confusion. It says, and if it had not been for the intervention of the city clerk, the Christians would have been fuel for the fires. The rich silversmiths were condemning the just, the Christians, who were trying to to help people escape from idolatry. The rich silversmiths didn't care that the people were um, under bondage by these idols it was the concern they had was, was that their riches were threatened. So they condemned the just to protect their profits. Do you remember the story of Paul and Silas, how they were imprisoned? That was the story of the, the jailer, you know, and, and the, the earthquake and how they escaped and all that. That's the, the part of the story that we always talk about. But there's a question I wonder if you know the answer to. Why were they there? Why were they arrested? Why were they put in prison? Why were they in bonds and stocks? It was because they cared so much for one demon-possessed girl. And they cast a demon out of her. But the rich masters saw that their profit was in jeopardy, and so they condemned Paul and Silas. I'm going to tell you this. If you care for people, you may suffer for it in this life, believe it or not. But great will your reward be in heaven. So what is a cure for a calloused heart? Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I'm going to ask you to do something, maybe you've never done it before, but I'm going to ask you to do this. Start this week by making a weekly habit of looking at your finances every single week and giving the surplus to the Lord. If you don't know where to send it or how to use it, you can give it to the church for a, the general fund. I'm not here soliciting funds. Okay, that is not my purpose this, this morning. What I'm looking for for you is for your reward, for your benefit, not for mine, not for the church's benefit here at Calvary. But if you don't know how to use it. You can at least give it to the bankers. And the bankers, as the scriptures talk about, would be those, the deacons here, who can distribute the funds where they see uh, fit, where it's best used for. it. Give it to the church for the general fund. The sports, the work at Calvary, it pays for the lights, the heats, the air conditioning, the free books that you get for being in a class and all of that sort of thing, the missionaries and the workers, all of that. That's the general fund. Some of you may not know this, but we also have a multimedia fund. And that fund is used to uh, put towards Bible translations, where we can see Bibles translated, printed, and distributed into uh, tribes or people groups that have never yet had a Bible, never yet owned their own scripture that they can read and that they can grow, they can come to know the Lord even, for those who don't know him. Uh, we also use that fund for the distribution of um, printing and distribution of other books, something like The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus book or things like that. So we're funding projects to get literature into countries um, around the world. I want to encourage you to think about this. Ask yourself the question again this week. What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? And why is it there? If you don't need it, if you're not needing it for your basic necessities. Why not release it and put it into the work of the Lord? The Bible says, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. With that, let's just close in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for being rich and not using the resources that you have given to us Uh, appropriately. And we ask, Lord, that you would soften our calloused hearts. Lord, we thank you for those that uh, have made a practice and a habit of giving to you regularly, habitually, cheerfully, diligently, and we thank you for them. But Lord, we pray for each one of us as we think about the riches, the resources that you've given to us, Lord, that we might not be misers, storing up for ourselves, but rather, Lord, we might be storing up treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not Uh, corrupt where thieves cannot break through and steal. We pray, Lord, for that. And we ask you, as you have taught us, Lord, to seek um, uh, you've counseled us to buy gold refined in the fire. We want that kind of gold, Lord. Not the kind of gold that appears on earth, but the kind of gold that you're talking about. A heavenly treasure. We pray, Lord, that we might be given that because of spending the corrupt money here uh, for your purposes and your glory, that we might be rich, Lord, and white garments, that we might be clothed, and eye solved, that we might see clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would grant this to us in Jesus' name. Amen.